0: You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. All right, welcome back to the podcast. I am actually recording this from the sauna. My computer's on the ground, so it doesn't get hot. And we're going to try it out. And so if it gets too hot in here, I will move it. But for right now, it's working pretty good. The sauna actually turned off. I was doing some work and the sauna had turned off, so it's not super warm right now anyways. And if you hear something in the background, it's my cat, Rush, because he likes to come in here with me for a little bit and he is cleaning himself. So I apologize for his background noise but so last Wednesday I asked you guys to do well I didn't ask you I asked you for your questions because I did a question box and I love doing them but I always get such an overwhelming response of questions which is great and I love being able to answer your questions and I just got so many of them since I hadn't done one in so long that I had a ton of questions. And so I love turning those pet questions into a Q&A because most of the time, if one of you guys has those questions or one of you has a question, most of the time it's helpful to answer it for other people. And so I usually answer it on my story. There's a lot of questions about like working with me, my programs and certain things. And so... Uh, Usually I'll just kind of respond to those people individually, but I probably should answer some of those out loud because if they have a question about what I can do, I'm sure you guys would too. So anyways, that's what I'm going to be doing in today's podcast is answering these questions. So I haven't asked a poll in my podcast in a long time, but there's just been a lot of kind of stuff going on. Good things. I feel like I've been super busy. We were traveling for a while and now I'm really getting busy preparing for the May retreat that I'm going to be hosting here in Canadagua, but um, it's not just solely for local people. We had a, quite a few people uh, fly into our last retreat that was in Lake Placid, and so I definitely anticipate that for this one. And if you're listening to this the week that this is released, which would be the week of the, what week would this be? The week of the 21st, so it'll be the 23rd if you're listening to this, I would definitely be on the lookout because... There is definitely going to be some ticket sale posts coming out really soon, so I just we highly anticipate that this is going to go quite quickly for ticket sales, so you have a perk if you listen to the podcast when it comes out, because you're definitely going to want to be one of the first people to get tickets if you'd like to come. It's going to be such an amazing weekend, and I'm really looking forward to it. So let's just kick off. I'm not sure if this is going to be one part or two part. I guess it depends on how elaborate I get into these questions and how many questions I end up answering. Some of them, like I said, were answered on my story that day. So I'm answering the ones that haven't been shared yet. So first question, how to stop constantly feeling hungry. And so this leads me to a few other questions what are you eating for your meals? Are your meals big enough? Are you consuming enough nutrition? Because if we don't have enough vitamins and minerals, our body is going to want to constantly seek more on also another nutrient that can be missing, especially if you're not, if you're lacking satiety would be protein and fat because fat is extremely satiating as is protein. Protein is really what keeps you full. And so if you're kind of missing adequate fat, protein and whole foods. Like I know that I struggled with this with more of like my bodybuilding style of eating because I was eating every two to three hours. My meals weren't necessarily super nutrient rich. They definitely, I was trying to eat as minimal fat as I could because typical bodybuilding is minimal fat, high carb, um, and high protein obviously. But the protein I was eating was not satiating because it was chicken breasts, you know, very lean protein, which when we're kind of changing what nature intended, we're taking out some minerals, we're taking out some vitamins. We're taking out a lot of that satiation, whereas I eat probably just as much, maybe a little less protein now. But still, protein is like the focus of my meal. And when I don't have enough, I know because I definitely feel hungry. Like a few weeks ago, I remember we made these paleo pancakes and they were great, but within two hours, Nick and I are like, that's weird. We're hungry, and we're usually we're satiated for, you know, a good, four hours easily. And I said, Oh, well you didn't put any collagen or protein or anything in the pancakes. And so it mainly was just, you know, it wasn't as much protein as we typically would have. And so now, you know, knowing that we kind of always mindfully make sure that if we do something like that, that it's, it's paired with like a whole food protein or something like that. So long story short is you really want to look at what your meals are being composed of because you very well could be missing vitamins, minerals, or just even macronutrient inadequate forms of fat or protein. Maybe you aren't eating enough carbs too. Like if you find your body craving carbs, it could be because you could be lacking them, especially depending on where your hormones are at, where you're at in your cycle. But also another part that we can always, we're always feeling hungry is if you're riding that blood sugar roller coaster, if you're spiking and then you're dipping and then you need something, you know, within two hours. I also feel like that was definitely me when I wasn't having enough fat and well-rounded balanced meals. It was more just protein with carb and not a lot else. Um, so, so you can really kind of play around with your diet knowing that and see how you can feel more satiated. But the blood sugar roller coaster is a really real thing for a lot of people. And so um, that, that also very well could be something I would look into. So next question, how to open detox pathways before a parasite cleanse? So this is really important. And I believe I talked about this on the parasite episodes. You just don't want to go right into a parasite cleanse because when you're killing things off and you're not supporting your body's natural detox, that can definitely be a recipe for disaster because as you're killing things off, they're releasing things like heavy metals, mold, viruses, whatever. And so if your body can't get rid of that, it's going to come out some way. I see a lot of people have rashes, um, if they're not doing it properly, like these are the people who are, like are usually doing like random cleanses and then coming to me wondering why it didn't work. Um, sometimes people notice, you know, like that kind of detox symptoms, that brain fogginess, not having that mental clarity, um, you, so in order to like really open your detox pathways, you obviously want to make sure that your bowels are moving. And so it's hard because a lot of times parasites can cause constipation. And so you're like, well, I need to address parasites to not be constipated. But so you, it's, it's kind of like, it could be complex. So you want to make sure you're having Regular bowel movements because that's the way that we're getting rid of these things. And that's a huge way that we get rid of things in general. You want to make sure you're hydrated. You want to make sure you're sweating. Um, And if you struggle to sweat, we want to work on those things. So, for instance, um, I'm literally sending out a protocol today where we're spending a few weeks opening up her drainage pathways with various herbs and lifestyle practices before we even get into a parasite cleanse. And I do teach you how to do that within my online membership through the parasite protocol. So, if you wanted, to do a parasite protocol, you also can learn how to open your detox pathways if you struggle with that. Um, But obviously, you know, for people that I work with one-on-one, you know, I obviously do that too, because I'm never going to send somebody into a protocol if their body's not ready for it, or if it's not going to be beneficial. Um, So best ways to boost progress. Whoa, my words, we're going to ask the best ways to boost progesterone in a high risk pregnancy. So this is really important because a lot of people struggle with low progesterone. And I think d- there's different ways that we can address it. Um, some practitioners will even recommend a progesterone, like an oral progesterone, um, And I've had quite a few cases where, you know, we've boosted their progesterone enough for them to be able to get pregnant. And then their doctor just preventatively does put them on an oral progesterone throughout pregnancy because there are certain herbs and things that you do just want to be careful of taking just because, you know, some practitioners aren't comfortable with it. And just with pregnancy in general, I'm always extra cautious with certain things. So, um, you could definitely talk to your practitioner about that, but boosting your progesterone prior to going into pregnancy is very, very, very important. So let's see. Um, would you combine Zuma products with traditional vitamins? Um, I'm not per, like, I know a lot of people use Zuma products. I don't because I use a practitioner line. I use CellCore. but I don't see why you couldn't combine Zuma products like their fulvic acid and liver detox with other vitamins and minerals, because I do that with a cell core product. So if I'm on, a, like, if I'm doing cell core parasite or liver support or whatever, I am usually pairing them with like my grass fed liver, uh, capsules, cod liver oil, probiotic, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, depending on the product would depend on like, if you want to take it independently, but just as a general statement, you shouldn't need to. So this next question is a good question. Thoughts on PUFAs from nuts and seeds, not refined oils. So PUFA stands for polyunsaturated fatty acid. And there's a lot of talk out there on polyunsaturated fatty acids in terms of them coming from whole foods. And so here's kind of my thought on it. And I've changed. I've changed my opinion Um, Over the years and just even honestly more so recently. So we obviously know or you guys know from listening to this podcast that polyunsaturated fatty acids from like seed oils, you know, soy, canola, corn, any of those, not a good thing, right? Like those are not beneficial to anybody. They're very highly, highly inflammatory. But polyunsaturated fatty acids are are naturally found in foods that we would have historically eaten, right? Nuts and seeds are a big one. Uh, they can be found in, obviously, you know, wild caught fish, like because omega three is a polyunsaturated fatty fatty acid. So omega three, omega six are both polyunsaturated fatty acids. So there's a lot of good things that all can also contain polyunsaturated fatty acids, right? And so, specifically coming from nuts and seeds. I think there's that balance. And I do think that in our society, we tend to heavily over consume nuts and seeds. I know that I was guilty of that. If you could have just let me be with my almond butter, walnut butter, whatever, like I could easily eat a jar in a day. I, ne- I wouldn't. Um, I would probably eaten like half a jar or quarter of a jar in a day easily. And like, that's not consistent evolutionarily. Like I would have never needed to do that. I never even, you can't eat that many nuts, without feeling super satiated and nut butters are just very easy to overdo because they're, they're, they're just, they're so much easier to eat. So do I still eat those things? Yes. Do I eat flax seeds? Do I eat nuts and seeds? Do I eat wild caught fish? Yes. However, I'm very careful of the seeds that I'm eating and I try not to like over consume. Like if I know I'm going to have flax seeds or something like a few servings a day, like I'm not going to have, you know, another serving, like multiple servings of nut butter. Or, you know, I try to portion where I'm getting my polyunsaturated fatty acids from. And just, I try to be strategic about it. I mean, there's a lot of talk between like, if you, a really great way to fatten animals up is, you know, you give them, you know, nuts and seeds and polyunsaturated fatty acids. And I can see how that's a thing. So when people, when we think of just like fat as a calorie, you know, fat as a fat and like in my bodybuilder days, I saved my fat so that I could eat more peanut butter. And like, is that really smart? Because I was giving myself so much more polyunsaturated fatty acids. I stayed away from things like grass-fed butter. I stayed away from things like coconut oil because I'd rather get it through something more satiating to me. It, I, I look back and I definitely can see how that was a problem. And so do I stay away from them completely? No, I, I still eat them. Um, but I'm just, I don't eat the quantity, like the copious amounts I eat them in a healthy balance and I do opt personally more for saturated type fats. Um, and no, they don't cause high cholesterol. They don't cause heart issues. Um, that's not to say that I put a, I don't put a label on like that nuts and seeds are bad by any means. I just do it in like a moderation that would probably be more consistent to like what we used to do and not what we can do in this modern age with nut butters and like nuts and seeds being, in everybody's diet everywhere. So that's kind of my thought on it. I, there's, there are some opinions out there where people don't even think that you should, you should have them like, you know, in moderation where you'd have like alcohol, you know, like minimally. Um, that's not necessarily my thought, but now that I have done some more research, you know, testing some things out to see what my body likes, I do know that my body prefers other sources of fat, primarily like animal fat, full, free, full fat dairy, grass-fed butter, coconut oil, things like that. Uh, eggs, obviously, um, as opposed to like getting my fat from solely nuts and seeds, so I hope that makes sense, and I hope that maybe you can kind of obviously make your own conclusion from that. But that's just kind of my perspective. Um, another question on Karina asked, what are your thoughts on high oleic vegetable or high oleic oils? Obviously, try to stay from it away from inflammatory. Oils. So there's a lot of talk about like high oleic sunflower oil being in these ho- these you know quote health foods um because high oleic although it sounds more processed high oleic has less PUFAs and has less of those kind of polyunsaturated fatty acids that can be more inflammatory um so but I still like don't think that that should be a staple uh if that makes sense okay Another question on PUFA, um, tips for getting rid of PUFAs out of your home and diet, massive purge of the pantry question mark. So when I first started learning, so if you guys haven't read deep nutrition, that's really the first book that really introduced me to, wow, I think there's a lot of this in my diet and wow, I think a lot of this could be causing the inflammation that I'm seeing, uh, you know, with my skin, with, you know, hormone health, bloating, whatever. So that was probably two, probably two and a half, three years ago that we really did a deep clean. And so for us, once I realized what it was in, I was obviously screening everything at the grocery store and not buying them. Um, But what did we do about the things that were in our pantry? I want to say for the most part, a lot of the stuff that was in the pantry wasn't a sta- like for the things that weren't a staple in our diet and that we we were just that were just sitting there that haven't been touched for months. I do believe we got rid of it. And then for the things that we ate, I oh gosh, I'm having a hard time remembering, but I do want to say we pro- we did a pretty big purge. I remember I was at my dad, I was at my parents' house and they were very receptive to all this information and I always thought, oh, we were so healthy like the way we grew up. And we were, especially compared to most people. But my dad, I remember he was on the couch and he was eating a handful of nuts. And I said, dad, I bet you a hundred dollars. There's canola oil in that. He said, no, he's like, this is just nuts. He turned it over and there was canola oil. And I remember him just being so overdramatic, getting up off the couch, throwing the whole thing. <laughs> and he was so sad, and he, but not sad. He was just disheartened that like, wow, he literally ate handfuls of that every single day. And, you know, we don't realize necessarily what they're in. So if you're at that stage, that beginning stage where you're just finally starting to realize what they're in, it's up. It's totally up to you. I never want to make somebody throw something out because I don't want to be wasteful. I hate that feeling of wasting anything. But if you feel like that's right for you or like giving it to someone who doesn't care, like I also felt bad about that too. I'm like, I don't want to donate these to a food pantry. I don't want anyone eating these. So that was just my kind of thought process. But we did end up throwing quite a bit away because... You know, it was like half eaten and we weren't going to eat it anymore. But then you just know that when, okay, when you go to buy something new, you know what to look for. Okay. Dominique asked, how do I feel about carnivore diets or similar variations? So I think that short term carnivore diets can be beneficial for autoimmune conditions, uh, gut hypersensitivity, just because of the fact that it's minimizing literally any type of issue uh, that you can, that it's, it's really the ultimate kind of form of elimination diet, in my opinion. However, um, I don't think that it's like a full, like a carnivore period diet is, is sustainable long-term, especially in the perspective of like female health and female hormones. However, I do think that animal, more animal-based diets is more of like that, that moderation and that diet, if you want to call it that, that I think is a better variation that I think is more sustainable. So like uh, an animal-based diet, for instance, includes obviously all organ meats, bone broth, muscle meats, you know, nose to tail eating, which is phenomenal, which that's primarily just carnivores, like just meat, right? But the animal-based diet also includes easy to digest and minimally, uh, minimal food what is the word I'm looking for? Anti-nutrient food. So there's some plants and especially like vegetables and things that come with anti-nutrients because of, you know, it's a mechanism that the way can, the plant can protect itself, et cetera, et cetera. And some can be a lot more inflammatory to others, to some people than others. So this the way that the animal base kind of works is it's more easy to digest foods. If you want to learn more about this, when I interviewed the Strong Sisters on this podcast, we kind of talked about anti-nutrients and all that kind of stuff. So it's easy to digest foods along with like the nose to tail. So fruits, fruits are super easy to digest. The universe like wants us to eat fruit so that we can poop out the seeds and the fruit will continue to grow. Like f- fruits minimally bother, they, don't, they bother minimally amount of people. Most people, if they do, if they have any issues with a food, it's some type of usual like vegetable, um, which I'm not saying vegetables are bad. I definitely believed that we evolved to eat certain vegetables, especially seasonally. However, I'm just saying there's certain contexts where people are inflamed and they could benefit from these certain things. They also includes obviously, you know, like avocados, cause that's technically a fruit. It includes, um, what else does it include? Honey, uh, maple syrup, you know, it's like natural kind of forms of sugar, which is, which is good. But then, um, It also contains certain types of vegetables, like squashes, rooted vegetables, and things like that, that are, that have less anti-nutrients in them, uh, specifically. So just kind of something to think about. Um, okay. Next question, as I'm trying to like move and make sure that we're still recording and we are. Okay, good. So, (laughs) Okay. Oh, this is a good question. Krista asks, what type of clean hair removal do you use? Shaving cream, wax, etc." So sometimes I get my eyebrows waxed, not all that much. I usually just pluck my eyebrows, but I do shave. So I don't use shaving cream. I just use a bar of soap and like froth it up and use that to shave. And so I don't, I don't use shaving cream. However, I do know that clean shaving cream does exist. Um, but usually for like a bar soap, I've been really liking the hue and grace. Um, their bar soap, you can use it on Nick's been using it on his face as well. You can use it on your face too. I just, I've used it on my face sometimes after a workout, but not a whole ton. And if you hear me opening the door, it's cause the cat is going in and out of the sauna. <laughs> um, so Yeah. Um okay, this is a good question from Erica. Is spotting brown blood prior to your period an indication of unbalanced hormones? So it's not an indication of unbalanced hormones. It's more of an indication that there's some stagnant blood coming from your endometrial lining because like think about if you get a cut and it's bleeding super quickly, that blood is quite bright. It's it's a bright red, it's light. But if you like then you cover that cut with a band-aid and then you don't look at it for a few days and then you uncover the band-aid and then what? It's like that brown black color, right? It's because that blood once it's come out has been able to oxidize. So when you notice like more Brown or even sometimes blackish discharge, like prior, like in association with your period, that's typically a sign that that blood has just been sitting there for a while. So it's that blood is not moving quickly. And so is that a bad thing, especially kind of like towards the tail end of your period or the beginning as things are just kind of starting to move? No, like it, it's, that's not a big deal. Ideally, you want to eventually see that bright red. You know, you want the blood to be moving quickly. You don't want it to be oxidizing because it's showing that there's good blood flow. Um, there's, you know, there's good blood and lymph flow through that area. Um, so I find that like castor oil pack use around your period, especially around the pelvic pack uh, or pelvic area, it can be super helpful. Movement is really helpful. So, like, if you're starting to see that brown or black blood and then you Move, you know, like you go for a walk, you get up, you do something, like you're going to start to, you, you might notice like more flow, but that's, and that's because like movement has a really strong, strong indication for helping to support that. So, best diet or things to do to help uh, with someone who has no gallbladder. So, one thing that so frustrates me about Western medicine is like we're just so quick to cut things out. Like, like the, these things have no purpose in our body. Like the, you know, my husband had his appendix removed, and obviously, you know, with appendicitis. But now, with being more researched, there's a lot of the reasons why we might get something an infection like that, or there's more natural potential. Sometimes ways, I get that. There, I'm really thankful that modern medicine exists. That heaven forbid, there's an emergency and we need to get it removed. But especially for gallbladder, in terms of like gallstones, why is your gallbladder subfunctioning? in the, in the first place, a lot of times it is due to gallstones and there's been a lot of really great promise with passing those gallstones naturally. I mean, coffee enemas are phenomenal for that. I've passed quite a bit of gallstones. And so if you can do something like non-invasive prior to getting something out like that, why would we not do that? However, this question is not based on why we get it out. It's based on things that we can do to support not having it. And so because your, your gallbladder essentially is a really key accessory digestive organ, So digestive health is going to be really, really imperative that we support that because you obviously don't have that accessory organ anymore. So it houses your bile, your liver produces your bile, your bile helps break down and emulsify fats. So some people without a gallbladder can struggle to break down fats. So sometimes taking supplemental like ox bile or support like that can be helpful so that you can tolerate, you know, F- fats with a decent, like a moderate amount of food, uh, sorry, moderate amount of fat, um, can be super helpful. Um, really focusing on proper detox support, gut health, um, digestive support, maybe taking like an enzyme in, in conjunction with taking like the ox bile can be really helpful. Um, so the, the those are kind of the suggestions that I have there. So, um, can anyone do the parasite protocol? Yeah, anybody can do it. I think that most people should. I mean, if you don't think that you have these things in your body, you can just send me a message and I'd be more than happy to share everything that just came out of my body within the last week. Um, yeah, I mean, even if you don't think that you have it, you're exposed to pets. Your partner very well could have it because you're kissing, you're sharing a bed. Like we're in close contact with so many different ways that we can get these things. And so it's just when people don't believe that they have them, I just, I'm like, you just wait. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, pretty much anyone could do the parasite protocol. I mean, if there's any strong contraindication or anything, I would just would want to know before like helping you work through that. Like if you have any history of anything crazy, but really I, I can't even think of any contraindication at the top of my head, but I'm, I know that there's some exist. Um, so Ellen says I 100% have migraines, gas and constant cravings. Bye-bye to artificial sugar. Yeah, that's artificial sweeteners are really heavily linked to migraines, artificial sweet uh, art, artificial sweeteners are really heavily linked to migraines, gas, cravings, acne, bloating, I mean, you name it. it. It's not necessarily that they might they might not be the sole cause in everybody, but they can absolutely be playing playing a big impact for a lot of people. So if you have those things and you have those things and your protein powders, your pre-workout, your protein bars, you know, your energy drinks, like I definitely would look at those because they definitely can be wreaking havoc on certain parts of your body. I know that and the crazy thing about it is we're addicted to these things. I never thought in my wildest dreams that I'd be able to give up the protein coffee that I used to drink because I literally was addicted to it. I was addicted to how it tasted like a Starbucks latte legitimately. And I did not ever think that I'd be able to live without it. And now I literally get nauseous thinking about it because you change your taste buds when you start making healthier choices. And when you get rid of things that don't serve you anymore, you realize how much your taste buds can change. Um, Good question. So what yogurt do you eat? I want the probiotics of it, but never find as bad added ingredients. So Faye has a really good one. Faye is a great brand. We just do the full fat. Um, I try to find a grass fed yogurt. So there's a grass fed, I think, I believe it's Maple Hill. It's not Greek. So sometimes I'll mix it with a little bit of Greek. Um, but it's really good. It's just grass fed protein. Sorry, <laughs> I will mix it with grass-fed protein. I'm starting to get delirious in the sauna. It's not even that hot. I'm not delirious. I just have to answer a lot of questions. Um, but Maple Hill is really good because it's just organic, grass-fed milk, um, culture probiotics. I mean, it's it's all really, really good stuff. That's a great brand. I am looking for like a raw brand because I love, I prefer raw dairy if I can get my hands on it. But um, I cannot find them here in the stores. cannot find them. Okay. I think this will be the last question for this episode. And then I am probably going to do a part two because there is a lot of other questions and I want you guys to feel like you are getting the, all the answers that you need. If there's any doubles, I'm skipping over them because I'm trying to like, just get the info out. But, um, this is a good one. Uh, opinions on iodine and Hashimoto. So iodine is a really important nutrient for the thyroid. However, in certain cases of Hashimoto's, you wouldn't want to add in iodine. I mean, it's really, really case by case dependent. It depends on like where you are, what your levels are at. Um, it, it depends on so many different things. So just like, there are a lot of cases where iodine is just more beneficial for hypothyroid instead of Hashimoto's, which is like the autoimmune condition where your body is literally attacking your thyroid gland. So to just completely say, you know, thyroid is good or iodine is good or iodine is bad is I don't want to do that. So it really is kind of like a case by case basis. So, Oh, I will answer this one for the last one. Last one. (laughs) Um, IUD, copper IUD side effects better than hormonal. So that's a good question. Uh, and I, again, I think it comes down to informed consent. So in terms of side effects, it depends on what you're experiencing. Cause if, if you already struggle with a lot of pelvic inflammation, a lot of cramping, a lot of heavy bleeding, you're going to get that probably even worse with a copper IUD because of the mechanism of how it works. I've talked about this before on my birth control kind of informed consent podcast, but copper IUDs work by essentially creating low systemic inflammation in the pelvic region. However, there is some skeptic research in terms of like, if it is actually local or if it is throughout, you know, systemic throughout the whole body. So because it's creating that inflammation and the inflammation is essentially to kill the sperm so that obviously you're not able to get pregnant. Um, that can be great for people who, you know, have low inflammation. They don't really get cramping. They don't have heavy periods, but if you have a history of heavy periods, if you're, even if your just period is on the heavier side, which still can be normal if it's on a heavier within normal range for you it can definitely make that heavier. And if you have a history of cramps, it can definitely make that a lot worse. I also speculate, you know, because of the inflammation, just kind of that, that lower abdomen puff or bloating that we fe- might feel that we experience can definitely be worsened due to IUDs and things like that. So, you know, it's not to say that it's good or bad. Um, I think it's probably a better option than the hormonal ones for some people. However, at what cost, to that person. You know, it's really case by case dependent. And I think, um, I think and all women should just know that if your goal is birth control, there are so many other options apart from just oral contraceptive and even apart from just IUDs. I mean, obviously there's barrier method, there's natural cycle tracking. Um, So many women have just we've just been become so disconnected about our body and that's not necessarily our fault. We just aren't taught this. And so that's just a big mission for mine for really helping to teach women how our body actually works and to be empowered about it instead of embarrassed or feel like we have no control over it. Because there's some times when we're healing where we might feel that we have no control, but coming out on the other side and feeling so empowered about this the different seasons of my body and the changes that it's having on a monthly basis is honestly really badass and so great. And I'm so glad that I have this and I can't wait to teach my future daughter about it someday and cont- continue teaching women about how amazing our bodies are and how we can naturally use it for natural family planning. Um, if that's th- the goal, of course, of having, um, you know, if, if that was the intention of having a birth control in the first place. And then if the other intention is balancing our hormones, of course we want to figure out the root cause of those. Um, so yeah, that's going to be the last question that I answer for this podcast. But... I have a lot more to go through and so I'm going to keep chipping away. And so I hope you guys like these Q&A questions because it's great because it gives me really good idea of topics and content to bring to you guys. But at the same time, I also feel good knowing that I can give back to you and be able to help give you a little bit more direction. Of course, none of this ever is medical advice. It's not intended to be medical advice, just educational and hopefully empowerment that you can then take in your own life and go forward with it and, you know, really, really start getting some answers for yourself and start taking those steps that you need to do to be where exactly where you want to be. And I know that's why a lot of you guys use this podcast and enjoy this podcast and my platforms. And so I thank you for that so much. And so stay tuned for a part two of this, because I have a lot more awesome questions to dive into and I'm excited to get to those. So thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you on the next episode.